This is Michael Easley in context. Here's a peek at what Michael will be talking about today. Every time you make an excuse or give me a justification for why you can do something, you are stating a principle for what you shouldn't do. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. We're in studio today with David Fowler, president of FACT, Family Action Council of Tennessee. You grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, went to the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, where you served on the student government. That's right. I did. You ran for an office. I, I, I did, and I actually <laughs> swore I would never do it again. I did. I swore I'd never do it again. University of Cincinnati College of Law uh, on a scholarship. You got your Juris Doctorate in 1983. You're a young fellow. You have directed moot court programs and participated in the national moot court. That, that's got to be kind of fun. It was. We actually argued in front of a Supreme Court justice. Did you really? Yeah, Justice Stevens who became sort of my immediate idol because he was a Supreme Court justice. And then I found out he was terribly liberal, and it was very disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) You also clerked in the Ohio Court of Appeals. How long did you clerk? I did that for one year. One year. Yeah, but it was was civil and criminal, unlike what we do in some states, like here in Tennessee. One month we heard criminal cases, one month we heard civil. So it was a very educational experience. You practiced law in Cincinnati and Chattanooga since 1994. You ran for the Tennessee State state senate and you served for 12 years that's right i did but it seemed like an eternity it did i often tell people i've been paroled and if i and if i stay in good behavior i don't have to go back <laughs> so that's how it works yeah run for office and you get free okay. now, now for any of your tennessee listeners who knew we went through a, a federal sting and indictments for bribery and all that i often tell people i left undefeated and unindicted okay and so your tennessee listeners might appreciate that uh, good legalese there okay <laughs> for four years you directed the center of law and government at bryan college Right. You've taught classes on political philosophy and jurisprudence. In 2006, you left office and you started working with the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Now, what's the, there's a relationship with the uh, focus on the family originally, is that correct? That's right. And there's still a, a bit of a relationship there. A focus on the family at one time had a more of a political policy arm. So it had sort of the nurture arm and the policy arm. The policy arm was known as Citizen Link, and it was kind of run by a guy named Tom Minery, who mm-hmm. Many of you in your audience would know uh, Dr. Dobson's right-hand man. And actually, about a year ago, they, they legally split into different entities with different boards for the sake of the protection of the charitable focus on the family organization, because political organizations are obviously under a lot more scrutiny today. So uh, so we still have a relationship with both groups. It's not financial. We don't get money from them, but it's sort of like being part of a big denomination, I guess you could say. And, and, and they have research that we can access to and information so that we're not having to recreate the wheel all the time. In the inception, the idea was to have one in every state, correct? That, that's right. And, and I believe now we're up to 38 states, okay. now have groups like ours. So most of your listeners, the odds are they have an entity like ours in their mm-hmm. state. And we work at the state capital level. It started in the late 80s when Dr. Dobson realized that very few people paid attention to what happened at state capitals. And yet they dealt with issues like pornography and obscenity and adult businesses and, and divorce and, and uh, gambling, all kinds of things. And, and nobody was much paying attention to those pro-family issues at the state capitol. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to create a national entity that was working at all those. So they came alongside existing entities to strengthen them or help form new entities. And that's how we came into existence was uh, in 2006 when the marriage amendment was on the ballot in Tennessee. 
of Focus on the Family and Citizen Link, started coming into Tennessee meeting legislators, of which I was one at the time, saying, who can we work with here to make sure that the marriage amendment passes? What's the state organization that has a statewide reach? And, and they just didn't feel that there was an entity with that weight and gravitas across the state. And so they helped formulate one. And as I was helping them put it together, I felt the Lord was saying, you need to go do this. So I left and that's how we came into existence. There you are what yeah. eight, eight years later now. Eight years. Eight years and counting. Um, when, when you think of Tennessee, from your first time to mm-hmm. become elected official to today, yeah. 2015, what are two, three of the most tectonic changes that you've seen? Well, just like every state, the the whole same-sex marriage issue and the advance of the quote homosexual agenda that wasn't even really on my radar screen at the time in 1994. It was in its infancy in northeastern states in California. It hadn't arrived in the South. So so that's been a huge shift. I, I think there's just been a shift in uh, the church as a whole in Tennessee from from being sort of a, a respected institution that had influence to one that's not as respected with as much influence. And, mm-hmm. and, and I see that in the simple things that when I was a child growing up here, uh, you know, a native Chattanooga, you didn't plan events on Wednesday night or Sundays. Mm. You you would have never had a kid's soccer league meet on Sunday or Wednesday night or swim teams or any of those things. Did Tennessee have blue laws like Texas? You know, I, I don't know. I was yeah. too young to yeah. know. I'm sure we did. Um, In but, Texas, you couldn't, uh, stores were closed sure. on, on Sundays and you could only sell certain things on Sunday. Yeah, like yeah. you couldn't sell alcohol. Right. or and, and I'm sure we had at least some of the alcohol laws, but 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 nowadays, you know, nobody gives much thought to to doing those right, things. And, right. and and you've pastored a church. You pastor one now. You, you see that oh, so and so's gone because their kids in the swim meet this, this Sunday morning. Oh, you know? it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's just yeah. is, and that would have not happened. So that's been a real shift in our culture. Not so much the law, but just sort of our our culture and and the sense of respect for the church and the sense that you don't mess with the church because that's such a large number of people you just won't get anybody at your swim meet or your soccer game uh, that that's one of the major things and then we've seen a shift on the abortion issue here from an issue we just fought at the ballot box lately but uh, when when I shortly after I got into office our state supreme court said there was a right to abortion in our state constitution and, and most of our significant pro-life laws were struck down despite the fact we're a pro-life state. Mm-hmm. And, and we just reversed that at the ballot box. But that's been a, a constantly shifting area of our, our culture. So those three things I see a lot. Let's talk about, because it is yeah. recent in, in Tennessee's uh, calendar, right. at least, this, this abortion turnover. Because that was a complicated vote. Yes. It was, a, it was a, a complicated campaign to educate folks. Right. It was. And it was an expensive one. But to me, from from the standpoint of the Christian community, it should be very encouraging, not just here, obviously, but nationally, that this is the there were 16 states that have a state constitutional right to abortion. Now there are 15. And this was the first time that the public had ever voted. Okay, for, for, for folks that don't follow all this, yeah. Roe v. Wade allowed every state to make a decision whether they were going to legalize abortion or not? No, uh, states... At one time, almost all of them 
Well, had, 19, made it 1970, it was illegal for every, anyone to have an abortion for any reason. Right. Yeah. And, and, and some laws in some states were weakening, with some exceptions. But right. in 73, in Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court said you have to allow abortion in all the states, essentially for any reason. There's another case called Doe v. Bolton that was decided the same day that said even psychological and emotional health is sufficient to justify an abortion. Okay. So, so, so Roe v. Wade said then mandated, now all states have to provide abortion. That's right. So many states, including Tennessee, came back and said, well, okay, we have to allow it, but we're going to have an informed consent law. Okay. We're going to make sure women know what an abortion does, what, what it's options. like, what the health risks are. Uh, we're going to have a waiting period. You know, you can't just walk in and say, yeah, 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 I know everything. Just just do the abortion. You have to wait 24 hours, 48 hours. Uh, regulating clinics to make sure they weren't done in, you know, a doctor's office that it really wasn't prepared for emergency responders in the event something went wrong. Mm-hmm. All those all mm-hmm. those laws states had. Well, in 2000, our Tennessee Supreme Court said there was a right to abortion in our state constitution. It was it was part of a, a movement at the time in the late 80s and, and 90s to by Planned Parenthood to go to the state courts where there's little legislative history about the Constitution and and get state rights to abortion in case Roe versus Wade was ever reversed. Okay. And so Tennessee was one of those states that did not have elected judges. We had some literal liberal judges. We don't have any constitutional history. And we became one of those test states. So, so in, in 2000, uh, that fall, uh, our, our informed consent law, the waiting period law, the clinic regulations, those things all became unconstitutional here. Even though the U.S. Constitution under Roe versus Wade allowed them, our state didn't. So we had to fight for literally 11 years. I was the sponsor of the constitutional amendment when it was first filed to get it on the ballot. And then in 2014, we had a, a public vote and it was hard for people to understand. What are we doing? Why are we yes. doing this? People, we did focus groups and said, oh, no, no, everybody has an informed consent law. We have one. It's like, no, we don't. No, we do. Uh, you know, Dave, this illustrates the point. And of course, when Cindy and I lived in the D.C. area for 12 years, uh, when we moved there, we knew nothing mm-hmm. about we didn't know what we didn't know. <laughs> and then you start getting around people that fight for policy. And I find this when you go outside the beltway, metaphorically, people don't understand the importance of policy. And you just said for 11 years you right. fought to get something on a ballot. And this is where I, you know, I encourage our young folks. You know, voting is, is a, not just a privilege. It's, it's an enormous responsibility yeah. because people like David Fowler, who are going to fight for 11 years to get something in print in front of a legislative body that's going to approve it and push it down the, to the committee. How do we help the the person in the church pew who's waiting to go to the Titans game or waiting to go <laughs> we watch you know the, the final four understand that policy is so important yet it's a glacier yeah. in the way it moves. Uh, you know shows like this. I mean, having somebody that's actually willing to talk about it is is important. And you're a rare bird, uh, in part probably because of your experience Not in Washington. Not only this way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, policy. And, and one of the things that I'll just mention about this in Tennessee, we looked at our abortion rates compared to the rates of the states around us. And I would often say to people, look. Do you really think Kentucky, Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas are that much more Christian and pro-life than we are? 
And if you don't, then why is their abortion rate lower? Is it perhaps because they inform women now, and now, make them wait? Can clarify for folks, a rate is abortion a, a rate. A rate is the number of abortions per, per thousand of per thousand. Uh, women of a okay. certain age. Okay. And I said, so so their rate, you know, every, uh, Arkansas may have fewer abortions, but they have three million people. Let's say we have six. But their rate was even lower than ours okay. or, or Mississippi's. And I said, so if our rate was as low as those states, we would be having thousands of fewer abortions every year. And, and that began to make people realize, so these laws actually save lives. People die because we don't have these laws. Yes. Then you begin to say, so what have you been doing to make sure we got a chance to vote on this? That the Supreme Court took out of our hands and said, well, nothing. Well, then you've been letting babies die. Now, I, I hate to be blunt, but that's what we were mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. And what was sad to me, here I am in this, this state that is over-churched in a way, or, or, or super-churched compared to, to, mm-hmm. to the rest of the country. And as you rightly noted, people did not know. They just didn't know. The number of people who would come up to me and say, oh, I share your convictions about life. I'm so glad we live in Tennessee. And I said, well, do you realize we're one of the worst states in the nation? And they look at you with this, how could that be? Right. Our congressmen are, are seven out of nine are pro-life Republicans. You know, our, our legislature's two-thirds Republican. How can this be? Well, Supreme Court said something, and we can't fix it. And 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 so the the answer to your question is one. In some ways, pastors need to be more informed, and and that's hard. To, it to it reach is hard. Them. And 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 and, def, and deference to pastors. Everybody comes to us and says the pastor needs to get behind this, this. and this and yep. this. And why aren't you behind Common Core and same-sex marriage and abortion on demand and single parents and domestic violence and the sex trafficking and adoption and you know. And by and, the way, you didn't visit my sister in the hospital last they, week. Well, you, <laughs> yeah, not to mention, not to mention. But you know, so so and that's one of my passions because as a pastor, you've only got. So bad, bad analogy, four aces in the deck for those who play cards. You yeah. only got four trump cards. Yeah. And so you have to be careful where you leverage them. Um, right. My view has always been life and marriage, my myopic yeah. view, are the, yeah. are the top. I hate moral relativism, yeah. but they're yeah. the top of the pile. Yeah. Life yeah. And, and marriage to me are the, are the two big ones. From that flow many good things. But... Um, and that's why I, I yeah, just, I, yeah. and it's not defensive. It's more clarifying for, right. wow, help me out, David. How sure. do I got 25 caught, not to mention the Gideons and, you know, sure. all these great organizations. The Crisis Pregnancy yeah, Center. There you go. Sure. There you go. That want, if you would get behind this, yeah. I got 48 Sundays a year to say something yeah. for 30 and, minutes. And actually, one of the things that's important that I try to help pastors understand <clears throat> is that you all have different gifts and passions, even as, as we do. But, but I've often said, God has given to the church everything it needs to do everything it needs to do. So most likely in every church, there's somebody that, that has an interest in these things. And I'll say to the pastor, look, if your heart is inner city ministries or your heart is wherever it might be, mm-hmm. is there someone there you trust who could filter that information for you? Right. That, that you trust so that you don't get bombarded with more emails that you don't have time to read and you delete. Well, and, I, did, I didn't miss, mention Islam either. Just, yeah, just oh yeah, way. that's okay. right. And, and uh, so, <laughs> I shouldn't so, be laughing. I shouldn't be laughing. Let, yeah. let, 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 I want to change your gears. I want to talk about same-sex marriage. Yes, because this, uh, in a way, we've we've won a quarter of an inch, at yeah. least in Tennessee, it, on the life issue. On the life issue. I mean, yeah. it may not last, but yeah. we've won a quarter of an inch. Uh, same-sex marriage is going the other way. Uh, we're we're yeah. losing incredible ground. 
feet at a time. Our, our, Yards. Uh, our, our good friend, uh, Jay Seculo, whose studio we're sitting in right now, I keep asking him, Jay, what are we going to do when they knock on my door and say, Michael, I want you to perform our wedding. Right. And I go, wow, that's, I, I'm glad you want me to, but I can't because I'm committed to a heterosexual relationship yeah. form, yeah. not a same-sex marriage. And here comes the lawsuit. I think people are not aware of the profound implications that the imposition of same-sex marriage, and I even hate to refer to it as same-sex marriage, uh, as marriage at all. But They keep but, winning that war. Yeah, I mean, the, the, they win the war of the rhetoric. They do. And uh, and, and they, I mean, and, I mean and, groups and, and, that, you know, let, me, let, let me clarify. Yeah. They, I don't mean that pejoratively or condescendingly, they meaning liberal groups that attack what you and I might call Judeo-Christian right. principles or a biblical worldview right. or a, a monogamous heterosexual relationship. They are those who right. believe a different way. I just don't think we're aware of all the implications of what's going to happen. Okay, let me ask you this. From a legal standpoint, yeah. when one of the common things you hear is that, well, if we're married, we get certain benefits and whatnot. And and as I, you know, in my 34-year little, you know, myopic view of this, what loss is there really for a same-sex couple who lives together that they're not, quote, married in the sight of the law? Because I, I can go into an emergency room and visit somebody. I can go. I mean, what, what, yeah. in what way are we harming? Well, the, um, only, the only thing I think that we do where, where it can't be fixed by contract, powers of attorney, beneficiary designations, is that you do get a tax break. If you were to pass away and leave your property to your, to your wife, assuming you have a taxable estate, there's a deduction so that she didn't pay taxes till she dies. Um, there are some deductions for gift tax purposes and income tax purposes that health, if you're not married, you don't get. Health care, of course. Potentially the health care. If there's care. a primary breadwinner in that relationship, he is or she is yeah. going to have assurance. Family insurance. That's right. right. But and, other than that? But but other than that, and, and but here's what I think we need to appreciate. We get the tail wagging the dog. The the issue is what is a marriage? And because of its no, importance, we give it benefits. No, no I, I'm yeah. with you. Yeah. I'm with you. But and, that's one of the arguments you commonly hear oh, it is. is that well, you're discriminating against us because we're gay and, and we can't get certain things. And I'm like, well, those are only a couple of things in life. It's not like, you know. Well, well they I, are. I, I agree that you're back to the. Uh, and, the I, and I think the thing that we have to be willing to say, which is hard to say, is that we all know that you don't treat things that are different the same and you should treat the same as the same, those things that are the same. If we're taking a test and you get five questions right out of 10 and I get eight questions right and the other guy gets 10, we all know that it would be unfair. We all get a ribbon. To treat. <laughs> well, maybe in your school you didn't, but I, I got a 50, no, okay? I, I, got a, I got a swat from but, the nuns. <laughs> but, 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 my, but my point is, is that those relationships are different. Yeah. They, they are inherently different. And, and to to treat them the same is not right. And and they don't want to think that they are different, but that's where our worldviews comply. I say they are different. They say they aren't different. And that's, and that's where the rub comes. Uh, when, when we talk to our you know, 60, 70, 80-year-old folks in this country, not all, many, they're just tired of this, David. Yeah. They're tired of it. They see it on the news. It's portrayed in sitcoms. I mean, why not just let them have yeah. what they want? Yeah. 
and you and I arch our back and, you know, bow up and go, wait a minute, God had an, a design. He made two people in his image bearers, male and female. He created them. They come together. They become one. It's a holy, otherworldly, sacred relationship that transcends uh, man's comprehension. And so we value that image of God. And then procreation occurs and so forth and so on. The data is endless. Uh, a child with two parents of different sex are going to do a better job uh, rounding out the individual, maternal, paternal, all those kind of things. We can we can throw this data at people all day long right. from a biblical standpoint, theological, from a social science, and we're still losing. Why? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a multi-part radio interview, I guess. I think, by and large, some people don't want to hear the truth. Uh, some people will just not accept the truth. You know, the scripture says that we suppress the truth in our unrighteousness in Romans. It doesn't say that we, we can't know some of it. It just says we suppress it. Mm. We torture it. We twist it. We don't want to hear it. In fact, I've often argued with people, every time you make an excuse or give me a justification for why you can do something, you are stating a principle for what you shouldn't do. That's great. Say that one more time. Every time you make an excuse or give a justification for something that you're doing, you are you are impliedly saying there is a general rule that does exist. So when you say, well, abortion is all right because uh, this is not really a human being, it's a, it's a fetus. Well, I, in fact, I argued with some Jewish ladies who came to my legislative office, a quick little soundbite story behind the curtain. They come in and they say, we appreciate that your religious convictions are against abortion, but we don't think you should use your religious views to to inform public policy decisions because not everybody shares your religious views. And I said, well, I usually don't talk in religious terms. You tell me what we're aborting and then we can decide the ethics of it. Long and short of the story was they said, well, it's a potential human being. And I said, well, I want to understand the word. It's a potential human being. Are you saying that though every recorded instance of a woman carrying a, a, a pregnancy full term has been a human being, there's the potential that she could deliver a dog, a cat, fish. I mean, help me understand potential. And they kind of looked at me and said, I'm not being facetious. Right. What do you mean by potential? They said, well, we mean that under the Talmud, until the baby is quickened. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You just referred to your religious baby. views. And I said, you all know that it is wrong to kill an innocent human being. So what you have to do is redefine, well, this is not a human being. Or maybe we say it's not innocent because it's interfering with my education, my career. It's going to ruin my relationship with my boyfriend. So it's not innocent. So every time we make an excuse, we are saying there's a general rule and we know that rule. It just doesn't apply to me. And we forget that. So every time somebody gives me a reason for why they can do something, I'm saying, so what is the general rule you are conceding is true? And, and we've forgotten that God has established creational norms for things like marriage. And we're saying by our law, we can overrule God's creational norms, which is Psalm 2. Why are the nations raging and rage. saying, let's burst the bonds and tear apart their fetters? And God sits in the heavens and laughs at them. And says, hey, wise up, O king, and show discernment before I get too upset about this. So a neighbor, a gay couple, moves next door to David Fowler. Mm -hmm. I had one, two women, who were great friends. When one of their fathers died, I cried with them. When the pastor refused to acknowledge the partner at the funeral, I went over and said, I want to apologize for that pastor because I know that this was painful for you. This was essentially your in-law. And I apologize that your grief wasn't recognized. I love them. And ironically, they would get yes on one for the marriage amendment bumper stickers and stuff delivered to their door when I wasn't home. And they'd say, I think we got a box of stuff for you, you know. <laughs> they knew where I stood. 
I didn't have to go preach to them. When one of them had a niece or nephew that was being sexually taken advantage of by a high school person, whose door did they come knock on and say, I can't get the school system to be responsive? Mine. Did I say to them, oh, well, I'm glad you recognize there are boundaries to human sexuality right. finally. I finally. said, let me help you. You know, I haven't seen them in a while. We've moved. I hope they would know that I still have the same deep affection for them mm-hmm. without having changed my view of, of marriage. I often tell our church to state the truth, to smile, yeah. to be kind, gentle, and firm. Yeah. And I find the fear of, you know, it's it's sort of like in the day when we used to talk about sharing your faith. People were terrified to knock on the door and share a little pamphlet or a yeah. religious survey. Now it's this is, the, this is the third rail. You do not speak the words gay, homosexual, transgendered in any derogatory way lest you get this wrath back at you. Or lose your job. Lose or, your job. Yeah, Be sued. It, it's very hard. I've, I've often said this. Jesus was truth and grace. I said grace without truth is meaningless. Who needs grace if there's no truth to offend, to violate? But truth without grace is just mean. And so we need to have truth and grace. For grace to be meaningful, we need to have truth. For truth to not be mean, we need to have grace. We've been talking with David Fowler, the president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. We've just gotten started and we're done. And we're done. We'll have to have you back. Hey, um, I'm down the street. So anytime. We'll do it again. Thank you. This is Michael Easley in Context.